Welcome back. Uh, it is great to welcome you to Elite Business Live here live from London's Kensington. I'm Molly Barrett. Uh, we just had a fantastic keynote. We're going to keep on this theme of commercial growth and it's very exciting to see people in person. It's lovely to see everybody. Welcome uh, one and all. Let me introduce our first panel um, and uh, I know that some of them are here and um, hopefully we'll be joined by one of them uh, down the line as well. Uh, let's go. Well, we've met Piers uh, already, of course, so it's great to see you. Uh, now, Marco, let me get your surname right for once in my mind. Ilnicic. Close, but not quite. Ilinchich. 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 Right. Uh, well, you're the group chairman of Vistage, um, which in my mind is all about peer-to-peer -peer connection, really. You're in the business of getting people, presumably virtually, learning from each other. Just give us a bit more of a flavour. Yeah, that's right. I, I, effectively, Vistage is the largest CEO advisory group in the world, and I run a group of uh, 15 CEOs, MDs, and it's uh, a collective opportunity to learn from each other. It's, it's like having a board that you could never possibly commercially afford because you can ask all these people with this vast experience for initiatives and ideas and support. Brilliant. Well, I want more on that and about your background as well, which I know involves a rather well-known children's brand or family <laughs> brand Indeed. around the world. We'll come back to that. Uh, Nick Dorman, welcome. Lovely to meet you. Thank you. Uh, Managing Director of Echo, which I, an engineer by background, I noticed. Sir. Originally, yes, but that's a long time ago. Of the day. And of course, Echo, brand innovation and design. Give us a sense of the sort of thing you might be working on. Um, we work with a lot of consumer brands. We work with big companies like Unilever, Nestle, Danone, um, developing... Uh, their brands and their packaging and their product, a uh, lot of innovation work, but also with startups, um, helping them develop a brand and, and uh, communication. It's probably quite nice to have that range. It's fantastic, yeah. I mean, they all feed on each other, really. Yeah, no, that's very yeah. interesting. Well, lots of questions for you. Uh, Sasha Celestial One, uh, certainly the best name on the panel, I must say. <laughs> I would agree. And uh, you're the co-founder of Olio, which I'm a huge fan of. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a now, I mean, I think it's approaching a household name. It's about food sharing. Uh, yeah, we connect neighbors with each other and volunteers with food businesses uh, to share edible surplus food so nothing goes to waste. Right, and this is a big problem worth solving because, of course, a lot of food, frankly, does go to waste. Just give us a sense of the numbers and why it's worth doing. Um, well, a third of all food goes to waste, and the food uh, supply chain accounts for 25% of global greenhouse gas emissions. Yeah. So that means that food waste is just under 10%, yeah. and it's a really big contributor to the climate crisis. It's something that we really need to solve. And you've got oleoers, as I think you call them, almost two and a half million of them. 3.3 uh, now. Is it? Yep. There you go. You've got to check them. <laughs> this is the challenge with older, older notes, isn't it? And, and not just in the UK, by the way. That's right. We've seen food sharing successfully take place in 59 countries. Ah and about a third of our sharing is outside of the UK. Wow. And presumably there's a good community element there as well. Uh, well, the, I mean, the community is at the micro, hyperlocal level, sort of scattered all around the globe. It's all about individuals in the same street, same neighborhood, coming together um, to share their spare with each other and look after each other, which has been super important during the last 12 months. I like it. Share their spare. It's, it's, sharing it's, is caring. I love it. Right. So we need to get on with this. Have you done that, Nate? Oh, uh, I've not joined the programme, but uh, I was just saying, uh, with the lockdown, we have you know, a, a, a local uh, uh, WhatsApp, which everyone's yeah, doing. Not yeah. necessarily, f well, actually food. Food's happening, but all sorts of things are being shared. So I think that uh, mindset is actually uh, becoming more reinforced by the the lockdowns, I think. Well, I think this all connects, actually, Marco. We might come back to this about, you know, business leaders wanting to share with each other, right? So, so, so we'll come back to that. Of course, uh, last but by no means least, Josh Wintersgill is joining us. Uh, can you hear me, Josh? I can, loud and clear. 
Good morning, Josh. You are the creator of the Easy Travel Seat, and you're the founder of Able Move uh, yourself. Uh, just tell us a little bit about the genesis of the Easy Travel Seat, Josh. This was designed to solve uh, a challenge that you'd face very personally. Yeah, right. So um, I'm in a powered wheelchair, and flying, um, particularly for wheelchair uh, people in wheelchairs, is um, is astronomically challenging. And I got kind of fed up after a trip in 2017 and thought we need to put an end to the way in which wheelchair passengers fly. And it's kind of spiralled out of control, um, whereby I applied for the UK Disabled Entrepreneurs Award a couple of years ago, which is ran by uh, Sustelios, the founder of EasyJet. And following on from the awards, um, we managed to get some investment from him and uh, join his Easy family of brands. And we've been going now since 2019. Yeah, and that makes uh, every sense. And I always know if a company's using Easy in their title, they're either facing a partnership with Stelios or a big lawsuit. So I'm pleased to hear uh, <laughs> that, it's the, <laughs> that it's the first. Where, where have you got to in the business growth journey, Josh? Uh, so we're, we're, we've now sold into 15 countries. It's still fairly slow because of COVID now. Um, COVID's put a big stop on things for us um, yeah. because if, as you can imagine, a lot of our customers are clinically vulnerable. Um, and it's it's proven a real challenge to kind of continue selling because nobody's planning on traveling at the moment. Yeah. Um, and so what we've had to do is really take the downtime of COVID to diversify. Yeah. Um, well, congratulations on all that you're doing. Uh, that's Josh Wintersgill. Uh, well, welcome one and all. We're on this theme of mindset, I think, initially. So, so I want us to be thinking about that as the backdrop. But Josh has reminded us of what a challenging year it's been. So I just want us to reflect briefly on the biggest change and maybe the lasting change, if you like, that you know you've had to make to your business to continue its growth uh, going forward. Nick and then Marco, just very briefly, and then we'll unpick it a bit. Well, actually, We've been doing very well. Um, it's quite it's, it's quite unusual to, uh, uh, situation. We we have a lot of designers, um, and they're a lot of, they're quite young, and they all had to move into London to get jobs because that's the centre of design. It's expensive um, to live in London or to commute into London. Now they're all living at home with their mums looking after them and making them dinner, and you know, and they're they're working fine. And we've we actually really haven't seen any real problems um, moving from you know, in our studio to everyone working remotely. It's actually so, been so, so that's on running of the organization. I yeah. can imagine a client thinking, do you know what? Global pandemic belts are being tightened. Maybe that investment in brand and marketing will have to wait. Actually, th th again, that's not necessarily the case. I think it's, it's business. Most of our clients is business as usual. Oh. They're, they're finding, we were just talking before, we work with a paper company. Um, you know, they're selling lots of toilet rolls, but they're not selling any tissues. Um, there's all sorts of different funny kind of, because no one's got a cold or, or yeah, flu yeah, at the yeah. moment. So we're seeing all, lots of sort of uh, balances going on in businesses, but they're going, we have to be prepared when this ends. Yeah. Um, because it's all going to change. There's going to be a big surge, I think, of, of new things happening. In fact, we've developed a new, new brands um, based around the pandemic, you know, PPE protection and things like that. Yeah. So there are opportunities. So I, I would say in certain yeah. industries, we work for the travel, um, uh, travel retail, and yeah. they're just everything's kind of yeah, of course and, and as josh knows um, very well M marco what have you seen i mean you you must sort of get to listen into uh, so many different conversations what, what are the biggest changes that have come through 
I think it's a mindset change on leadership agility. Mm. Um, I think sort of flat-footed leadership, steady, uh, sequential. I, I, it, people have really realized the need to step up and stay on their toes. And that agility to be able to pivot and react has been tried and tested. Some have succeeded. Others have failed uh, and are dusting themselves down, mm. uh, maybe getting to the party slightly later than their competitors. But, but I think that's the number one. And what, what consumes a lot of the conversations in, in the uh, group that I run, um, as I said, uh, there are 15 CEOs, MDs. It's definitely about that leadership agility and leading change. Mm. And, and in, in broad terms, you spent 20 years of your career with Lego. Um, yeah, 25. 25 years. Yeah. How have the larger corporations fared by contrast? In theory, they've got bigger war chests in many cases. They could, in theory, be more nimble. You might not see it that way. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it, it, it depends which category, because we were just talking uh, before coming on stage. The toy industry seen a huge bounce. Yeah. You know, kids are at home, parents are frustrated. How do I entertain my kid? So, so there's, there's been certain categories that have definitely benefited from the situation. Um, that said, deployment of resources, both human and capital, regardless of whether you're in a category which is thriving or perhaps, you know, struggling, uh, has been a real challenge. Mm. And even those categories that are um, seeing a positive bounce from the pandemic. Um, if you're not deploying your human capital and your financial capital strategically and swiftly enough, yeah. then you're going to get left behind. Got it. So, Josh, you've got an extraordinary scenario where you've got this amazing life-changing product, which all of a sudden, presumably, many people aren't buying because they're not planning to go traveling. How do you get through that with the business intact? What did you do? Um, firstly, uh, Richie Sunak's a lifesaver. Um, I think that's definitely helped, um, especially for small and medium businesses and obviously large, of course. Um, but it's very interesting because I think it's all about resilience and I think, you know, learning how to adapt to change. And I think COVID has kind of just accelerated the inevitable, um, really. And what we've done is we've basically looked at our current customer base and looked at some of the feedback that we've had as well as also looking at other areas of opportunities once kind of COVID, you know, starts to, as lockdowns start to ease, where can we capitalise and upsell on new innovative products? And really our, our values is all around about exploring new possibilities and promoting day-to-day -day living in an independent lifestyle. And so we've taken that concept um, and continued to innovate with new products for people to use when they come out. So we've gone from having one product to using the last year to now launch six new products going into April. So we'll now have seven in total. And although the money hasn't been coming in, the business now is in a much, much better position than what it was going into lockdown. So it depends, in, it depends on your mindset in terms of what you look at growth. Yes, growth can be a, a financial thing, but it also can be what, what value are you also providing to your customers going forward yeah. that doesn't yet necessarily recognize that financial side of things. Well, that's fascinating that you say it's in a much better position than before the lockdown. Two very quick questions for you, Josh. Um, give us a flavour of what those new products are, uh, the next six, if you like. Okay, so yeah, we've taken uh, the uh, existing Easy Travel seat and made a cheaper, lighter version for customers because we, we learned that price was definitely a factor. Um, yeah. And there were certain activities that the product 
what customers were wanting to use for but couldn't use, uh, for instance, swimming. Um, so we've designed something that's more versatile in that space. Um, then we've started looking at more um, straps and support mechanisms for uh, wheelchair people. And we've also looked at um, a cover for wheelchairs as well. What we find a lot of people when they go swimming, for instance, they get out of the, the pool and they get into their chair and their chair then gets wet because towels don't always do the job. And there's nothing worse than having a damp cushion um, that you've got to sit in for a couple of yes. hours until it's dry. So we're just basically taking all of these ideas from the, the wheelchair community and saying, look, how can we fix these day-to-day -day challenges that you have? Brilliant. And, and, and just and, basically and get a machine. Mm. Just for, and, and, and I can see through um, your lived experience of that and that of the community feeds into that product innovation. On the Rishi as superhero front, just briefly remind us, Piers touched on this in his keynote, what did you benefit from and frankly what would have happened if you hadn't had that cash? I think it was the, the security of survival, right? I mean, at the end of the day, there would be so many small businesses now, particularly that would just be out of business. And it's been able to keep staff around, you know, not obviously not working, but around for now. But it's also allowed me in my spare time to look at how we develop um, and grow as well. So, I mean, for me, um, I think if it wasn't for, for the support, um, I, our business would probably be gone by now. And, and this is why I think it's so remarkable to think that we are actually in a much better position now. Whereas yeah. if it wasn't for that, we probably wouldn't be here. So it's kind of a... Uh, just a weird scenario. And, and just to be to be specific, Josh, was this furlough? Was this bounce back loans? What were you benefiting from? Both. We've 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 taken furlough and we've taken the bounce back loan. But yeah. I was very critical of making sure that if we were to take the bounce back loan, this wasn't necessarily to um, you know uh, uh, pay for, for for kind of staff and stuff like that. This was to actually go into product development and order and 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 finance for stock to help us grow when we come out of it. So I've got so many questions about this, but Sasha, in a way, the pandemic, and I hate to put it as uh, crudely, but could benefit a business like Olio about sharing, about neighborliness. We're facing up this huge environmental crisis. To what extent were you forced to do new things or was it just an excuse to put up to the front of the queue what you'd been hoping to do anyway? Um, it has been fantastic, if I'm honest, um, and um, I, don't, I don't feel too badly about saying that, even though I completely acknowledge it's been very difficult. But I think we've played a really important role in strengthening communities. We saw more, more sharing in the first five months of the pandemic than we had seen in the first five years of Olio. So it was an absolute explosion. We are um, not quite 10x the level of activity that we were pre-pandemic. And what, just to be clear, what was, what in your view was driving that? Because it's quite a mix of things. I think we've had lots of people who've thought food sharing and household sharing is um, something they wanted to try at some point, but they've just kept procrastinating. Mm. And then people all of a sudden are at home acutely aware of their own surplus and perhaps the needs of the, the members of their immediate community. And what, you know, what, um, it's just such the obvious time yeah. to try something um, and to help. It's a very tangible way to help and to give back. Sort of spirit of generosity. Absolutely. Yeah. It was a real outbreak of altruism, yeah. um, not just COVID. Um, we also saw, have leaned into some new opportunities that we wouldn't have ever predicted. Mm -hmm. So we saw our members um, at home baking and crafting and starting all these side hustles. And in July, we decided that we were going to launch a new section in the app called Made, 
where people can sell homemade food or sustainable handmade crafts to each other. And we launched that in October. Wow. So that was the fastest product development cycle we've ever experienced. Yeah. And right now, at any given time, a quarter of all the listings on the app are in that section. And I think, um, to Marcus's point, and we had to really, really adapt and pivot and lean into an opportunity. Yeah. Even though the core business was going strong, there were still other opportunities yeah. to, uh, which were really exciting. I love it. Um, I can imagine specifically for you, Nick, and also for peers with your Dragon's Den background as well, there could be some conflicting advice for a business. Do we double down on our existing product? Focus is the watchword. Or is it time to diversify, to extend our brand? A little bit some words of wisdom having seen it firsthand Piers and then Nick um, yeah so that's obviously one way of growing I was going to touch upon but the point is don't forget the the mothership the core business too many people they go off for this exciting tangent and they may have a business that's the, the cash engine and then they suddenly realize that's not going to plan because anything new but just what you've done before it doesn't mean there's a success in the future so always remember to look after that core business because you may find that when you come back to it it's no longer there, then you've got a serious problem. Interesting. So by, if I just push back gently on that, presumably there could be situations where you end up jettisoning your core or launch product or in practice well, I, that I've, rarely happens. I've done that. So you had a business where we had a business where it was doing about £40 million pounds of revenue and a new one doing about two. And our board meetings were 90% talking about the two and 10% about, so we sold that piece. So you sold the original one? We sold the, the sort of the, the cash cow, really, and that cash was then invested in the, the more high growth business. Because I think this, I, I, Piers, you've been very clear on this, but Nick, I think this could be confusing because it could be the shiny bauble that gets the attention of the board, but it could be a red herring. Mm. Yes, I, 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 I think that your point about the core is really important. I mean, you know, we, we do a lot of work with brands who are innovating, innovative, and innovating, and then their core product just starts to look duller and duller and duller. To, to um, them or to the world? To the world. Um, and probably to them as well, actually, because it's not an exciting new story. I'm not going to get famous for launching this new product, you know. And so you, you see these, you see a hollowing out uh, of, of brand portfolios. Oh. And actually, a lot of our jobs now are going in to revitalize the core of brands, um, to give them, because often there's some essential purpose behind those cores uh -huh. that actually is needed in all those innovations for them to be relevant. So we go back around and look at it again. Interesting. Right, so you are listening to our panel on uh, commercial growth, and I'm particularly keen to come on to mindset now. So please get your questions coming in our hashtag EBL2021. I wonder, let's go quick fire now. Let's shift gear a little bit. How would you describe your own mindset when it comes to business? It's a word that Marco has mentioned already. Uh, and we'll keep this super pithy. Piers. Um, <laughs> that's a tricky one, actually. Hey, this year has been quite hard, actually. At the beginning, I thought, oh, what's going to happen? I was starting new businesses, and I thought, where's this going? So my mind's had to be, you know, just, just buckle, get on with it, get your head down, and just crack on. And that's worked very well. It's been a, a good year. Interesting. Now, how about you, Nick? What's your, how would you describe your mindset? I'm actually excited. Um, we've done a lot of prep in this previous year, um, and we've got a lot of ideas going forward. I think change in society um, is always opportunity. Um, I think if you, uh, you know, normally it's technology that changes things. When the iPhone came in, when people start driving cars, it changes what people need. It changes habits. Mm. Habits get sort of reformed. And if you get in at the point where habits are getting reformed, there are new business opportunities there. And, and so it's very exciting. It's worth now, Mark, I don't want to get into sort of 
pontificating. But it's worth thinking about that word mindset because Nick is putting in other um, emotions there around how he's feeling, which is, which is very, very clear. But wh why, I guess, does mindset even matter if you're leading a business? What do you see? Well, as a leader, you're effectively in a goldfish bowl. Everybody's watching you. Huh. Uh, and whilst they appreciate for many business owners and many uh, people who are running their businesses right now, a lot of what their interaction is through to their employees is virtual. But your tone, your body language, what you're, how you're dressed, how you're showing up, it, it, I, I would say it's gone under the microscope even further now. It's exacerbated. The, they're looking for small signals. Is the business is in trouble? Are they in control? Are they optimistic? Yes. Should I be opt Should I be worried? You know. Mm. So, so, I think you know being super vigilant as a leader, particularly in the current climate, is really important in terms of how you are showing up. So, so on that, Marco, what is your take then? Because you make a very clear point on showing vulnerability, weakness, fear. Yeah, I think that's very important. So, what I'm not saying is wear a mask. Ah. What I'm not saying is just you know bravado will win on the contrary people will smell a rat a mile away you know it doesn't matter how wonderful you think you are you will not act your way out of this so i think it's very important that you are humble you are honest uh, and you are having uh, meaningful conversations but i think it's how you go about doing that which is the really important so i guess we've got two thoughts there now sasha one around mindset and also how you show up as a leader how you communicate what's, what's your take on both I think I'm echoing a lot of the things that have already been said, but authenticity is incredibly important. And I think during this period, you need uh, more frequent communications with your stakeholders. So we've really gone to more daily or twice weekly with all team meetings, also with your customers and your investors, because you're not meeting people face to face. You just need to increase the frequency to reassure everyone that you're all on the same page and you haven't sort of gone off in different directions. Can I, can I ask you a question though, Sasha? Because presumably there will be times for any CEO or co-founder mm -hmm. when internally and perhaps in the middle of the night, they're thinking, oh my goodness, I really don't know how we survived this. And yet you're forced perhaps mm -hmm. to project an image of positivity, resilience, optimism to you does that then somehow lack authenticity i'm just trying to help navigate between those two I, I think you have to do both but what we like to do is to let the team know after we've come through the other side yes. so you know once a quarter we'll sort of have a okay guys remember back in march when we were seemed really calm underneath the surface we were paddling furiously and here's oh. what happened and here's how we navigated through it and we sort of let people see re retrospectively that how we struggled and how we got through. Interesting, really interesting. Josh, what's your take on this around uh, how would you describe your own mindset uh, and also how you communicate? Because it's not just to your team, right? It's to the world. I mean, it's, it's a really interesting one, I think. But because I come with a disability background, you naturally have to adapt to change all the time. Um, and I was having a conversation the other day with someone around tech and how correlated technology and disability actually is um, and it teaches you various different things and I think for me the three key kind of areas that I focused on is being forward thinking about what does the future look like how is that going to impact me and what do I do what do I need to do to be prepared for that um, also resilience I think you need to be able to take setbacks and understand that setbacks might be coming and be able to take them on the chin and get back up and keep going um, and then the other one, Ollie, is the one you just touched on, was, was resilience. I mean, you don't get anywhere in this world without being having a stiff upper lip and kind of just knuckling down. 
Um, and so I think those are my three key areas in terms of having a good positive mindset longer term. Um, and in terms of, in terms of, sorry, yes. Forgive yeah. me, carry on. John. No, go for it. Um, okay, so in terms know, of community, <laughs> sorry, no, you go, Ollie. <laughs> how do you encourage that in your team? And I'll ask everyone for this tip, but all very well being a resilient and positive leader, but how about bringing everyone else along with you? Practical. Yeah, I mean, I always try to support them, right? And, 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 and you know, have daily conversations with my team. We're only a small team, so fortunately I'm able to have kind of that one-to-one -one dialogue with the team. Um, but I think a lot of them see what I go through on a day-to-day -day basis and kind of maybe use that as their momentum to keep themselves going, as well as sharing the vision and the values that we have here in terms of trying to change other people's lives. Really helpful. Why, why don't I get a, a similar tip uh, from each of you, just, just around encouraging that growth mindset, if you like, in the team. Nick, Marco? Um, we're moving from a, a kind of mindset of uh, directing our staff to mentoring our staff. Mm. Um, and it's, it's actually a big change. So what that's saying is, you know, we would normally have people come to us and say, look, I've got these three things I've, you know, I'd like to do, which one shall I do? Ah. And we're now saying, you come to us and say what you'd like to do, and then we'll, we'll talk about it and then you go for it. It's a, it's a slight mindset swap, yeah. but it puts them in charge. Yeah. Um, and then you, get, you, then you get things happening from the grassroots all the way up through your business. Um, it's very exciting. So that's very say. interesting, Marco, isn't it, around an evolving style of leadership. What are you seeing? Yeah, I think um, mine's a very pragmatic tip. Uh, pick up the phone. So I think we've been so used to Zooming and uh, Teaming all the time. Just pick up the phone and have a quick chat. Huh. Uh, even if you have to leave a WhatsApp voice message, it's personal. It's to them. Just checking in. How are you? You know, how are things? Hope that project's going well. It, it, it means so much to people. Uh, so don't forget to use the phone. Don't forget to make it personal. Right. It's good to talk. Now, Sasha, I've got a very specific question, which I'm going to put to you, but it could be for others. Ian Lewis is asking here um, that we've seen lots of regulations come from the UK government on ethical business. Um, we've now got additional pressure from the government and many others on sustainability, climate and reusability. How should we be changing, if at all? And you're walking the walk, but messages for others. Um, well, like specific government policy suggestions? Well, it, 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 it seems to be, but I, I, I guess it's saying, you know, these guidelines, these yeah. targets, net zero uh, and so on are coming out. Too what much is voluntary. Do? Too much is voluntary right now. Uh. So we need to have um, regulatory poli you know, policy interventions that require sort of um, reporting in terms of the amount of food waste, the amount of emissions, and not make it voluntary. That's the big difference between getting to where we need to get to with net zero and where we are now. So, so on that, um, you, you've been talking to some of the world's leading brands. To what extent do you feel that this message is rising up? Oh, it's, it's at the forefront. I mean, if you think about the pressures, it's not just regulatory. You've got investors are now looking to invest in green business. Ah. You've got CEOs who want to be famous, not just for making money, but for changing culture. You've got Paul Pullman at Unilever, was, you know, is famous for doing just that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've got staff who don't want to work for a company. Who, who wants to work for a fracking company? You know? yeah. They want to work for a company that does good. You get lots of people coming, writing and saying they want to work for you. So now the pressure, and then consumers are now tip, uh, on the tipping point now where they're going, I'm going to, my decision making is sustainability or ethics is now yeah. part of that decision making process. So I think it's... it's, it's That's very interesting. And, and, and Josh, this must be on your mind potential travellers thinking about the mark they make on the planet. What are you hearing? 
they're, they're eager to go, right? I mean, uh, everyone's just biting, you know, chomping at the bit to get on and travel. Um, but sadly, again, for, 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 for my demographic of customers, um, it's not always just that easy. You know, we have over 60% of our customers have their wheelchairs damaged when they fly, either lost or damaged. Um, and over 63% of them have to dehydrate themselves in order to fly. Um, wow. And so, you know, it's kind of this, um, you're kind of weighing up two things. You're kind of weighing up this ability to go and live your life and travel, but comes at a cost. So, um, I mean, I just, yeah, we, I think as a community, we just can't wait to get back out and start doing what we want to, we know what we want to do. Yeah, good, and and and, um, and and to do that in 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 very responsible ways, I know. Well, I'm going to say I wish that we had longer, but the good news is that Hannah is going to quiz you uh, a little bit more. Um, uh, oh, there's so much I wanted to ask you, particularly about that Lego journey as well, Marco. But just just out of interest, Vistage is open to leaders across the UK as well. We can join in. No, absolutely. No, it's um, you know if you're a business owner or you're an MD or CEO of an organization um, and you're interested in learning from others rather than just from a book or going on a course, then please look us up and explore the options because there are plenty and often very close to your own area. Brilliant. And we had a masterclass earlier on how to pick some of those mentors and advisors from peers. So I was very grateful uh, for that. And I know, Sasha, we've talked before about finding your tribe to surround you with uh, as well. But uh, for now, uh, Sasha, to Nick, to Marco and to Piers, thank you so much uh, for joining me. That was uh, hugely enjoyable. Thank you very much indeed. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Uh, well, so commercial growth, good growth as my panel leave the stage and start to make their way back uh, to see Hannah momentarily. It's really got me thinking, firstly, about some of the uh, challenges that some of these, because uh, <laughs> I've Piccadilly Circus around here, uh, some of the challenges that they faced. Um, was it really a chance to bring some of their plans forward a step and to accelerate those if you like um, to what extent are they feeling optimistic and I think the temperature there was very positive wasn't it uh, very optimistic but that doesn't mean that's how you feel um, so tell us what you're thinking our hashtag EBL 2021 what questions would you be asking what are your reflections uh, but for more as they go backstage it's my pleasure to hand to my inimitable co-host Hannah Previtt Thank you very much for that, Ollie. What a fantastic panel to kickstart the day, and of course that keynote from Pierce also. There were so many good lessons there for our small business audience and entrepreneurs to take note plenty from Pierce um, with lots of, of practical advice and places to look. I really enjoyed his um, his. Uh, um, uh, thoughts about how entrepreneurs need to stay focused because I think that tendency to kind of veer off course and to get attracted by the shiny things is a real is a real temptation they need to avoid and I am thrilled that I'm now joined again by Pierce uh, if you'd like to come and join me up here Pierce That's sorry I know this is the <laughs> yeah, this is the third it's, it's time nuts. that you've <laughs> been grilled by us today um, so we won't keep you too long I promise um, but I think what it would be really good to hear from you, lots of people will think you've got it sussed, right? So they see you as being very successful, you're a dragon on Dragon's Den, you have all this brilliant advice for them. Um, but can you give us some examples of throughout your career where it's been really tough and you know, you've had to really work hard and kind of dig deep to keep going? 
I've had quite a few of those actually. I had a, a company that we had to sell in a fire sale. You got 130 people that are looking at you, saying, "You know, am I going to have a job tomorrow?" So you've got that. That is kind of scenarios. You have businesses where you know you've started them or invested in them actually, and you're supporting the the founders. And for whatever reason, that business hasn't worked out. I think they're they're the difficult the difficult moments where you have to as entrepreneurs you have to sort of see through, look to the other side, and then keep going. But sometimes it's really hard, and it's tears. Yeah, well, I was going to say, how, how do you keep going? You know, after a di- difficult day in the office, do you have any, you know, kind of practical things do you do? I think you're, you're quite into biking, aren't you? Do you go out for a bike I wish ride? I, I didn't get out. <laughs> I swear, bike got nicked last week. <laughs> so um, I didn't get out enough, to be honest with you, and I haven't got out to the lockdown. So basically, entrepreneurs, you know, they don't, they don't stop because it's raining. You know, it's something that, it's a passion, it's a vision, something you want to do. And often, you know, that business that didn't work out, that's not a bad thing. You've learned. You know, serial entrepreneurs are serial entrepreneurs because they've learned along the way how not to do things. And they've, they've learned the skills. A lot of it, is, you do learn it as you go along. So the point is, is that that venture didn't quite work out. It may be a stepping stone to the next one. Most successful entrepreneurs that I know, it was their third or fourth business. That's really interesting. And so is resilience a quality that you look for when you're looking at investments? Yeah, so I think it depends on the stage. So if, if it's a real startup, you are very much focused on the, the individual really because whatever business they think they're starting is highly likely, you look at it through lockdown as well, that they may have to pivot and it may become something else. So really, you're looking at that individual in terms of can they actually you know, go the, go, to survive and go the whole course mm-hmm. and will they be able to pivot and, and deal with the the issues and you're there to support them as well but it's a tough journey and not everyone's cut out to be an entrepreneur even if they they think they are i'm sure um and speaking of investments tell us dragon's den what was your most successful investment during your time in the den so i invested in lost my name which became wonderfully which uh google invested in that as well so i think they printed six million books now they're over 200 countries you know it makes tens of millions of revenue. So I think it's probably, I think I was the first to do a proper tech deal in Dragon's Den. People took the mickey out of me a little bit in the green room. That's never gonna happen. That's not what Dragon's Den's about. And I think it's probably the most successful business in terms of a company that someone's invested in, hopefully at some point will exit, uh, ever to be on the programme. Wow, an extraordinary feat. Do you look back on your time on Dragon's Den with fondness? I do, yeah. It's a bit weird. <laughs> it's not like another world. It's weird being on that programme, actually. But uh, at the time, I didn't really know how I was a reluctant celebrity, I suppose. I didn't really know how to handle it, actually. But I think now, looking back, it, it's, it's given me a lot, actually. It's opened lots of doors, and people take my phone call, and I get to do you know, things like this. Amazing, and we're very lucky to have you. Um, one criticism that often gets levelled at the Dragons from journalists like me, and I'm going to put you on the spot here, is that they can seem to be a bit greedy with the amount of equity they want. What do you say in response to that? Um, well, when I did my deal with I Lost My Name, I took 5%. So I think that was, a, that was the first kind of... Uh, they wanted to give me 4% and I negotiated an extra 1%. So, uh, yeah, you, you can see some companies where, you know, they might give 30% away for not a, a huge amount of money. So you've got to be very careful about it because that is, that is gold dust. But in some cases, you know, the added value of that programme and the PR has launched a lot of businesses and they, they've gone on to do very, very well. In fact, ones that haven't even received investment on the show. Yeah, exactly. Um, and in, on the topic of investment, we have some audience questions here for you. So um, one of our audience members asks, what do you think would be the best investment to take during a pandemic? Surely that depends completely on the type of business. Yeah, I mean, there's so many businesses that are, I've got friends hospitality that are really struggling and people who are in different 
some technology businesses or um, delivery. I was talking to a chap the other day who used to make my um, used to make my sort of rotis on the street near uh, Charlotte Street in London, and now he's set up a business delivering food. And he's got, he's doing a thousand deliveries a week. He's got a lorry full of these things. So. It just depends on what sector we're in, really. It's very difficult to say. An obvious one would have been video conferencing. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, look at Hopin, right? Hopin. Uh, uh, what a great success story. I know, incredible. And that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, amazing business. So uh, there's another one here related to finance. So uh, you said that many businesses <coughs> don't understand their financing options. Um, and this person says they think that this is because they don't understand their finances in general. So perhaps they don't know how to read a balance sheet, for example. Do you think that Two different things. True? So one is understanding how our accounts work and how uh, a P&L and a balance sheet and a cash flow works and how they interact with each other. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. You need to understand that to go and raise finance. But often entrepreneurs like Dragon's Dead, you don't need to understand your numbers. Just go and find someone that does. But understanding your financing option in terms of what kind of finance, where you get it, on what terms, how you prepare for that process, that's a slight, that's a, that's a different thing. So I wouldn't confuse the two. Mm -hmm. Excellent point. Um, and this one takes us in a slightly different direction on the subject of exports. So, um, you know, Brexit has happened. Um, do you think that that's um, altered in any way the appetite for, you know, UK exports overseas? So the business we crowdfunded last year, we manufacture 3D printed mountain bikes and, you know, we export. So there's been, been a bit of a cold tar moment of right, how do we, how do we understand the paperwork and the process has changed and it slowed things down but eventually you begin to realise how it works and my view is is that you know it depends how far you look doesn't it if it's one year it's complicated look at 10 years you know water finds its level and people they'll understand the process and it will become more efficient so just as I said before entrepreneurs never stop because it's raining they'll just get on with it yeah exactly just find ways to, to get through it okay well thank you very much for that thank you for having before me before you go uh, optimistic scale of one to ten whereabouts are you at the moment I'm a I'm an eight I'd say I think there's still a few difficulties out there how long is it gonna you know it'll be a recession but it's gonna be a difficult period of time we don't know how long that's going to be so prepare for that if it wasn't for that it'd be a ten but I'm about an eight because there's a bit of uncertainty there still okay I think we'll take an eight thank you very much for okay. that Pierce um, I'd like to welcome Sasha now to come and join me in the hot seat as it were Sasha, massive fan of what you're doing with Olio. What an absolutely extraordinary achievement. Thank How you. are you feeling about things going forward? We hear that you've had as it were a good pandemic um, so so how are you feeling about you know the, the next six to twelve months um, I'm feeling very optimistic both for uh, the recovery and for the planet I, as well for the health um, the climate health of the planet and also for oleo um, I think we're we can see the light at the end of the tunnel and that hopefully some of the the lessons and behaviors that we've adopted during during the crises will continue and it would be better for everyone. Mm -hmm. And you as a business, how have you been functioning in terms of day-to-day? -day? Yeah. I presume you're fully remote at the moment. Do you expect that to continue? So we've always been a remote-first business, so there, we were set up to operate like that from the very beginning, so there was little to no adjustment for us. Um, we did double the size of the team from just under 20 to just over 40 over the last 12 months, so we've had to onboard a lot of new team members who I've never even met. So I'm hoping and looking forward to the time that we can get together and meet face-to-face. -face. And what implications does that have for culture so onboarding in a pandemic when you can't have those team lunches and the other nice things that happen when you join a team we have to have virtual team lunches virtual quizzes virtual coffees scavenger hunts um, and for the brief periods where we did reopen we did immediately try to meet up in groups of six outside and have fun days out 
Um, but the reality is Oleo is a mission-driven business. We're on a mission to eradicate food waste from the world, and we hire for mission first. And since everyone's mission-aligned, it's quite easy to keep and maintain the culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how do you do that? So when you're interviewing, you know, because people can say the right things, right? Yep. They'll say the things that they want, you know, they, they think you want to hear. They'll have done their research. So how do you, um, how do you work out the kind it's, of wheat from the chaff, as it were? It's, it's not as hard as you'd think. One of them, we always ask everyone in the final presentation, um, what about your personal background and experience makes you right, uniquely right for this role? And those that start that, well, I shouldn't give this away, really, but those that start that part of the presentation with a picture of themselves as a child picking up litter or something that really reflects that this is a lifelong commitment to making the planet healthier and the world a better place. That's where the real sort of passion and and authenticity of um, being mission-driven comes out. If someone starts talking about how they might have a keep cut cup and you know they don't use plastic bags like then they're clearly talking about recently adapted behaviors and they're not really right for our culture mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so you said you've grown to over 40 people now that's extraordinary so when you can go back into the office will you have a home of you know a physical home or will you continue to be fully virtual we are a remote business we always have right. been we only get together um for off-sites and sort of away days um, um by exception otherwise we're 100 percent remote and we have people all over europe really my goodness. That, that, Which makes it great for people who value flexibility. I'm a mom. I still get to, well, when school's open, do pick up and drop off. And things like that are really important to me. Mm-hmm. And is that something you encourage throughout your team? So Absolutely. So it's a very flexible working, um, working environment. And people are, um, all of our team members are encouraged to prioritize that part of their family life or well-being that helps keep them sane. Because then when they come back to work, whether it's, you know, in the middle of the night or whatever, whenever it is they prefer to work. I don't mean the middle of the night, but you know what I'm saying. Um, then they're fully committed and re-energized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And as the mother of two young children, I completely, <laughs> I hear you. Um, so I asked Pierce then about some like tricky moments and how you bounce back from those. I think it's really good as a journalist. Obviously, I always love the anecdotes and it's something our readers always really enjoy is hearing those kind of first person war stories, as yeah. it were, um, yeah. and how people bounce back from those. So, you know, do you have any of those? Yes, of course, absolutely. And especially sort of in the beginning. Oleo is my second business, so I've been an entrepreneur now for going on a decade. And in the beginning, every time you did something new, you thought it was a silver bullet that was going to sort of magically accelerate you on this path towards exponential growth. And then, of course, the reality is something that's much less exciting and often falls flat on its face. And, and it's you do go on that emotional journey. Um, so we launched all different types of um, sort of monetization strategies into the app in the beginning, raising money for charity, allowing people to sell things, and and that none of them worked. And after the fifth, sixth, seventh, you know, after the tenth time it happens, actually, you sort of expect it not to work. You've already sort of grieved, and you're already thinking about what's next in terms of um, your strategy, the next thing that you're going to try. And I think resilience can be, is almost the same thing as having an, experience, an experiential or not experimental mindset, um, and expecting that it's just as much it's just as valuable to learn that something doesn't work quickly as it is to learn that something works. And you need to encourage your team to celebrate both the fast fails and the, the successes. Mm-hmm. And I think this is something we've adapted very much from our kind of American cousins, isn't it? We were always really bad in the UK at talking about failure and learning from failure um, in a way that they seem to be much more accepting of that as a, as a culture, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Well, I am American. I've been here for 16 years. And yeah, I do think in general, Americans are better at talking about their feelings um, than, than, than here in the UK. 
and you know uh, the opposite of failure but that's not always a good thing so <laughs> I guess there's a flip side yes. right um, so and the opposite of failure is obviously incredible astonishing grace that you've had since since the pandemic yes. um, I always find it really interesting that there is a flip side to you know that fast growth it can be really hard to keep up with things like cash flow as you were saying about onboarding new team members yeah. at that kind of pace yeah. so do you think there can ever be a downside of growth can you grow too fast um, I'm sure if it compromises the quality of the experience that your customers are experiencing. So for us growing quickly, we are drawing in new members to our community who might not understand our community guidelines. And um, we had to work really, really hard to reassure the community as it grew that trust and safety and all of the things that make Oleo special, um, that we could continue to maintain that. So uh, there are definitely watch outs as you're growing really quickly. Um, but that's, um, you know, you can't have it all and it's a nice problem to have. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a great note to end on. So Sasha, thank you very, very much thank indeed you. for your contribution this you. morning. Thank you. Bye. So, and we're now going to have last but not least, Nick, if you would like to come and join me. Um, hello. Could we hear a little bit more about Echo? Can you tell us about maybe your, one of your favorite, again, we're not allowed to have favorites, are we? But, you know, one of, one of your favorite projects that you've worked on for a brand, perhaps during the course of a pandemic. Um, well, if I might go a bit before then, we actually work with, um, uh, we do a lot of future visioning work. We help companies think about what their future is. And, and, and it's interesting, during the pandemic, it actually gives us a chance to think about the future a bit more, doesn't it, with those quiet times. But actually, we work with a, a distillery company. Um, and if you think distillery companies are all about distilling, they make whiskies and vodkas and so on like that. And when we went to work with them and talked about the future, we had all things about, you know, the problems with alcohol, the social issues around alcohol shipping glass around the world um you know for in whiskey and things like that it's not good from a co2 point of view they had all sorts of problems in their in their minds around this but actually when we started to sort of think about the future um we sort of shifted their purpose from being around um making booze to uh, managing society, societal sort of inclusion and and fun and bringing people together and they actually when you start to think about your purpose in that way then all the other stuff gets sorted out and that kind of uh, a positive vision that purpose I think is really exciting when you get to work on projects like that mm -hmm. and is it also fun I can imagine the process of getting to that point is really good fun oh yeah it's great fun because what we did we had um, like over 70 uh, marketeers all in one room and we, we put together three movies about the future. We took them 25 years out. Now you can imagine that's a long way out, but if you're making whiskey, you put it down for 12, 15 years. So you kind of need to look a long way out. Um, so we took, took people out and we showed them videos of three different people in the future um, and what their lives might be like, the sort of way they might live, the sort of buildings they would live in and work in, um, the how they would be using technology, how they interact with each, with each other. It's very exciting stuff. It really inspired everyone to start to sort of think out of today's issues and problems and, and, and to explore and, 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 you know, create a vision. Absolutely. Gosh, what an interesting project. Um, and, um, you know, one of the questions that I've asked our other speakers so far is about kind of tricky moments. You know, what is it that, that can keep you awake at night? Um, I think uh, we have, our business is, is totally reliant on on people coming to us and wanting consultancy, if you like, or designs. So we can't predict the future. We never know what we're doing more than two months out, which is very scary. 
so it's it's for us that's the tricky moment is like when you when the funnel isn't full and and you're going where is the next lot coming from um, and so that's why we're doing a lot of work in forecasting um, to to sort of break that down and and start to make sense of it rather than just seeing a big empty hole in the future and when you look backwards we always managed but when you look forwards there's nothing there our accountant is just cannot understand our business at all it just says it's it's wrong it shouldn't exist i'm sure it's very similar to being a freelance journalist it, i'm sure it is i'm <laughs> sure it is um we do have a question about business plans um and i'm interested to know if indeed you have one because you say it's so hard to forecast somebody's asked for your advice on what is, should be considered a good business plan do you have any views on that or is it not really something you no do no no of? absolutely i think it's in, uh, it's essential um I think for my issue, I, when I started a business, I wrote a very detailed business plan about, you know, how many people we'd have, um, how much their, their salaries would be, you know, what's our income and you know, outgoing is going to be, what sort of building do we need and all this sort of thing. It all went out the window as almost as soon as we started. It was useful, um, but it was too factual, it was too detailed. I think a business plan should be more about purpose. Um, it's, more, it's more about where, where do we want to be, where's our vision and then starting to build steps towards that you know so you say we'd like to be here you get everybody on board with that uh, and sh with that shared vision and then you start to look at the steps to take you there and and that's flexible because then you can start taking into account what we call causal forces things that are coming in left field you know new technologies or or pandemics and you can plan for that it's called scenario development it was developed by shell you know back in the 50s or something and it's a very useful way of thinking about the future don't have one plan have multiple plans mm -hmm. i love that and having that kind of real core mission statement being you know the, fundamental to everything you that do ties everything together yeah right? exactly and aligning everyone on the journey i love that thank you so much for that nick that was a perfect note to end on